Okay, I said earlier, I said I shouldn't have announced this week we were doing boundaries and spouses. Nobody might show up. <laughs> That's always a tough topic. But I, I want to emphasize something, though. This is about boundaries. This is not so much dealing with all the issues in marriage. This is about boundaries specifically, because that's what the book's on. So I want to preface everything we say this morning um, around that whole principle, and that is that it's going to be dealing with the boundaries that are involved from day one in marriage on through. So one of the relationships where boundaries can be most confusing is marriage. Boundaries foster separateness, whereas marriage has as its goal the giving up of separateness to become one. So that's, it gets confusing as to what am I giving up? What am I, you know, what is me? What is my separateness? Add to this the likelihood that the vast majority of couples entering marriage have not established their own boundaries to start with. And the end result then is going to be chaos initially in those first few years. And then in a lot of cases, it's, it's one of the reasons behind divorce rates. More marriages fail because of poor boundaries than any other reason. Now, we hear the number one cause of marriage is finances. We hear other things. But if you think about it, those are all examples of the boundaries aren't where they need to be. The boundaries aren't where they need to be. Marriage is supposed to be to mirror the relationship Christ had with his bride, the church. So we need to realize that there's certain things we need to look at in, in the church's relationship, our relationship with Christ that goes along with our relationship to our spouse. In fact, all through scriptures, there's a correlation between Christ and the church and the husband and the wife, that they are similar. So as we point this out, it's important to note that the boundaries laid out in scripture are this. Only Christ could die for all mankind, and only the church could represent him on earth in his absence. Yet both play an active role in saving the lost. Similarly, in marriage... Some duties will belong to one spouse, some to the other, but together, together they are a marriage. They are a unit. So that's kind of a, an overview of what we're going to talk about a little bit. Together, you have your separateness and yet you have your unity. They're not contrary. They're actually complementary. When two become one on their wedding day, spouses do not lose their individual identities. You do not lose them. You are still the same person you were beforehand. What happens, though, in marriage is we get lost in trying to find where those lines are, and then conflict ensues, and then people get feelings hurt. Duties in marriage should be worked out based on each person's individual abilities and interests. Duties or roles, I don't like the word duty, I like the word roles better, but they use duty. Roles in marriage should be worked out based on each person's strengths and weaknesses. There is no book out there that says husbands do this, wives do this, although there are a few who try to make that, that argument. There are some general stereotypes that we see, but there are no black and white rules. Not anywhere in the Bible, anyhow. Problems arise out of when one trespasses the other's personhood crosses the line and tries to control the feelings, attitudes, behaviors, choices, and values of the other. Um, most of the time, and when I'm dealing with counseling with, with couples, what I see is one person or both are trying to control the other person the way they feel and tell them how they feel, which just makes that person angrier. You know, you're not making... <laughs> 
<laughs> I hear that a lot. You're not me. How can you know that? We need a certain respect for those individual um, feelings, emotions, behaviors that they are theirs. Our relationship with Christ and any other relation, for that fact, is based on freedom, not enslavement. I remember growing up, there was at, in our era, there was a lot of talk of, you know, the wife needs to submit to the husband and da 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 da. Which that's not all wrong, but it was the way it was being said. It was kind of legalistic. Of you don't have anything to say in this matter. I control the conversation, and that just goes over like a lead balloon. In fact, if you think about it, in the last. 40 years, what has happened to the divorce rate? For that very fact, I think, someone trying to tell the other one, this is how you feel and you need to realize it. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. One of the most important elements that promotes intimacy between two people is the ability of each to take responsibility for their own feelings. Now that is twofold. I want to elaborate on this point. When I say what builds the C in the marriage, the most important element, it's each person being responsible, not only for their own behaviors and how they act towards the spouse, but also in their own attitudes and the way they act towards themselves. It's both ways. Now, some examples of that might be, I expect certain behaviors out of my spouse. Well, there's nothing that says she has to be a certain way or talk a certain way or do a certain thing. She is my spouse. I married her. She used to compliment me. But for me to say this is the way you will behave is kind of crossing that line. There are certain things that you talk about in, in the marriage. I don't want to get too far from the topic, but on boundaries. Um, but there are also things in marriage that you have to discuss and come up with a common agreement. And we're going to get into that in a little bit. But at no point should I be forcing my opinion on that individual because there's two things happening. I'm disrespecting her boundaries, and at the same time, I'm out of line with my boundaries. So there's two behaviors. If there's nothing else you take from this, boundaries book is talking about you. Not your spouse, not your kids. They're talking about you. Even when we talked about the addict kid, you know, the one who doesn't want to be responsible, you still are the, have to be responsible for your boundaries, and what you do is set limits within your boundary where you're not going to let that teenager or that young adult take advantage of you by coming back and living in your house and creating havoc when he should be out doing his own his own life. So it's still about you. It's not about them. It's about you. They always are going to be part of the part of the focus of um, identifying the problem. I'm you know what we, we've talked about the checklist. The very first thing you say is what's the emotion that I can't deal with right now? What's the symptom? What's the frustration? You look at the frustration, then you look at What's the root cause? When you look at the root cause, then you're going to look at who's responsible for changing behaviors here? Who's responsible for adjusting? I am only going to be able to change and adjust my behaviors. I can't adjust theirs. Statements like, you make me angry when you leave your clothes on the floor, when you don't close the door, when you don't turn the lights out at night, when you spend too much. Yeah, you could go right down the line. You make me angry when you do that. That type of statement is indicative that you're really not owning your own feelings. Instead, you're talking at or past that individual. And we're going to go into that a little bit. It's a myth to say that people make me angry. People don't 
make you angry. You know, it's a myth to say that people make me angry. I put the don't in there and I shouldn't have. People cannot make you angry. That anger comes from within you. And you need to evaluate what is it that's causing that anger in me. What's causing this anger in me? Because it's something within your expectations and your boundaries. Anger usually comes from disappointment that the other did not meet your expectation. It was your want, but it was not the other person's want. It was your want. I want this to be the standard. I want this. But if you haven't dialogued on it and you put that standard out there, that's just going to lead to a lot of fighting because the other person's like, what do you want from me? <laughs> what do you want from me? That's usually what comes out in counseling. I don't know what you want from me. I can remember back probably about our seventh year in our marriage, <clears throat> we were, you know, the old statement, the honeymoon's over, seven-year itch, you're just kind of friction has built. You haven't really isolated and find all your boundaries, so there's still little things that irk you. And we were, Joy and I were in the kitchen talking the one day, and I was frustrated. She was frustrated. And I remember saying, I don't know what I can do to make you happy. And like that, a light bulb went on. And I use that all the time because... It was my boundaries that was messed up. It's not my job to make her angry or her happy. <laughs> it might be my fault that she's angry, but it's not my responsibility to make her happy. And I said that out loud. I said, it's not my job to make you happy. Well, I got the eyes of Satan at that point in time. I'm like, how dare you say that? <laughs> but when we talked it out, she realized what I was saying. You have to find your happiness in the Lord and the Lord alone. Then it radiates out to everybody else. And that was a pivotal point. After we worked through that angry moment, we started, you know, we realized unconsciously, unintentionally, we were trying to control each other. You can't do that. It's not going to work. There's always going to be dissatisfaction and frustration at the bottom of that. Misdirected anger and unfulfilled expectations are almost always at the root of most marriage conflict. Now, make sure you're noticing that first part before I go on. Misdirected anger and unfulfilled expectations. Both of those can come from me. Both of those can come from my spouse. Both of those usually meet in the middle, and that's what we call a fight. I had expectations. They weren't met. I may not have been clear about those expectations. Then I get angry that she didn't meet my expectations, and she's doing the same thing. You know, she's angry, she's frustrated because I'm upset. We go back and forth because we created chaos. What we didn't realize is we were creating it ourselves. It really didn't have to be. If we both were in our relationship with the Lord the way that it should be, we wouldn't have to have that arguing. The last part of that uh, slide is one or maybe both are trying to change the other to be what they want them to be. One or both may be trying to change the other to what they want them to be, not what they want to be. Problems arise when we believe someone else, when we blame someone else for our lack of boundaries. This happens in many different ways. Most commonly is a boundary was not clearly clarified or was not spoken out loud. And when somebody didn't do or act the way that someone out the, the person that we're talking about felt they should do or act, then there's dissatisfaction and there's frustration. But 
it was partly my fault because I never clarified that in the first place. So how can I expect them to read my mind? You know, guys talk, talk, you know, joke about it because they're like, just tell me what I need to do. I can't. I don't know what all you want from me. Just tell me what to do. We joke about it, but there's a lot of truth to that both ways. Both ways, I need to make sure that I'm talking about maybe an expectation from the other person before I start jumping on the case. So I have misdirected anger, and I have personal frustration and, and anger inside of myself. And the reason being is I had a lack of boundaries. I didn't make the boundaries clear. Anytime you spend, anytime you spend doing things for your spouse should be a gift to them from you. Should be. If you do not want to give it, you don't have to. Sometimes newlyweds talk through problems and come to realize, well, I thought I always had to do this and do that and do this. And somewhere along the line, the, the spouse, the husband will say back to the wife, it's, that's not the important part for me. The important part is that this happens. But because they haven't talked about the boundaries, because they haven't set the boundaries up to say, this is how... I think it should go. And after that discussion Joy and I had in, in the kitchen that day, what we started doing is I, I said to her, I can't read your mind. Just tell me what you want me to do. I will do it when I get home. Well, it would really be nice if you changed the garbage. Okay, it's done. It will be done every day. It would, be, it would be really good if you fed the dogs. Okay, we clarified some boundaries. It would be really good if, and she named off a number of things. And then she, when she asked what mine was, I said, it'd be really nice if you tell me when you want me to do something rather than me have to guess. I'll do anything for you. I hope you know that. And then we started laughing because at the time, it, there was that friction going on about expectations. Me wanting to try to make her happy when I really didn't need to. She needs to find that happiness herself. Often spouses will do more than they really want to and then they'll resent the other for not stopping them for overgiving. That happens a lot. <laughs> Many fall into the trap of complying only to later resent it. Resent the fact that they had to do it. The Bible teaches that love gives freely out of compulsion, not out of compulsion. The example here that I was referring to is more often than not, but I've seen it on both sides, more often than not, the wife continues to clean and does things and the spouse sits there watching TV and then somewhere along the line, she's done all this work while he sat there and that comes out later in an argument. I can't believe you sat there and let me do all that cleaning, didn't even offer to help me. And it's like, I was watching a football game, I didn't really have my attention on what you were doing. <laughs> you need to communicate that. But oftentimes, the compliant one in the relationship just does and does and does and does all the while they're frustrated that they're not either being recognized for what they're doing or that they feel the other person is not doing their part. It's usually a combination of both. But the boundaries should be spoken clearly in front before, and that's what the next slide is telling us. Effective communication of boundaries and expectations is crucial to any success in a marriage for it to grow. Effective communication, when we say effective communication, the dialogue between a husband and a wife should be such that I kind of know where she's at any time during the day, and if she isn't where she's at, there was a reason. But that kind of trust comes after years and years of years 
of knowing that if Joy's late or if Brad's late, there was a reason. It wasn't because they intentionally decided to wait and make the, let the food get cold. There was a reason. Usually, one of us or the other will text or communicate, since we've got into texting now. <laughs> Still all thumbs. I misspell words all the time. <laughs> Caleb introduced me to T9. I forget to double-check my spelling, so sometimes the word that goes through may not have should have been there. <laughs> So now we're going to talk about applying some of the laws of boundaries to marriage. The first law that we're going to use is the law of sowing and reaping. If a, if a spouse displays out-of-control behaviors, they should suffer, and I have the word negative there, but I think I meant to put natural consequences of the out-of-control behavior. For instance, they use the illustration in the book of the wife who is always late. They've set up a time. This is when we're leaving. We have a party to go to. We have a dinner to go to. It's a church activity, and she's late. So we're always walking in late. Joe and I went through this. I used to be late all the time. She'll say I still am a little bit because she really sets it up early and wants to go. But um, usually it's something like being late, or it's overspending, or it may be overcritical. One of the spouses is continually critical. One of the things that will happen there, if that is not addressed, is there will be a lot of resentment, there will be a lot of dissatisfaction in the marriage, and there will not be a whole lot of intimacy in the marriage if that is happening. What they suggest, and I agree, is let that person come to the natural consequences of their behavior. And he gives the illustration of how that his wife was always late, always late, always late. So what he decided to do was he told her up front, we are leaving the house at 4.30. Whatever you do before, or however you get to that 4.30, we are leaving the house. Came 4.30, she thought it would be just like it was, always was. He left. She did not go to the church function. She was mad. He said, I have told you. It frustrates me that you will not be on time. So if you're going to be late, you're going to have to bring a separate vehicle. I agree with that. I think that's a good way to approach it. He said that couple transitions there where they still had a couple issues, she changed her behavior. Because it was embarrassing to him to be late, but it was less embarrassing for him to show up late and say, well, she had things to take care of. Obviously she did. She wasn't ready. <laughs> so that's one of the ways you could do it. He also talks a little bit about overspending. If a spouse has trouble with credit cards or with spending, his suggestion is if they have debt that they're not able to keep up with, rather than taking out of the family account, they should be doing additional work in order to pay that off or get rid of the cards. You know, he gave several different examples. One who sets limits on how they will allow the other to treat them in marriage is exhibiting self-control. That's not cruelty. You might say, well, it sounds like he's punishing her. Well, it can look that way, but he's going to have to answer to God for his motive if his true, true reality was that he's trying to set boundaries in his own life so that he's not late. He's not going to change to be like her. It's not right for her to expect him to change to be like her. So setting the boundaries is not an act of self-centeredness. It is an act of setting limits. And that exhibits self-control for you, the person who is setting those. But those are some examples that they give on sowing and reaping, allowing the person who's actually violating the boundaries to be the one that actually see the negative consequences or natural outcomes of their behaviors. 
The law of responsibility. Setting limits is an act of, of love in a marriage. By binding and limiting evil in the marriage, you protect the good. Your marriage is difficult. You're bringing two people together. You both have your good and your bad. And when you put that into a melting pot together, it can create all kinds of problems. Setting limits is actually a way of demonstrating love to your spouse. Now, keeping in mind, I'm setting limits primarily on myself. But also realize if we're both setting limits in our relationships with each other because of our relationship with Christ, it should eventually adjust and you should have a balance. The key there, though, is the relationship with Christ is first that draws your boundaries together. Taking responsibility for someone's anger, their pouting and disappointment, by giving in to that person's or controlled behaviors destroys love in a marriage. When you continually find yourself giving in, all right then, let's just do it this way. All right then, have it your way. If you're constantly doing that, there's not going to be intimacy. There's not going to be love displayed. Eventually, people will know that there's friction in your relationship because of the way you're treating each other. So we have to realize that if we don't address things, it eventually starts to come out in who we are. It starts to reflect in who we are. Now, keep in mind, we're all sinners. We all have a sin nature. There's a degree of this ongoing in every relationship. But the ones that are getting to the point where they're, they just don't know if they can do it anymore... It's because they're not taking responsibility for their own issues. That's where it starts. The law of power. Accepting someone as they are, respecting their choices to be the way they are, and then giving the appropriate consequence is a better path. You cannot change the other individual. It's a better path. Now, there are several conditions in that statement. If I'm taking responsibility for my behaviors, and that's coming out of my relationship with Christ, and I'm not trying to change my spouse, I'm just focusing on doing what I need to do right, <clears throat> that should come in line together eventually. The two, if they're both doing it, should come in line together in their relationship with Christ. That's the better path. If they are not, if your boundaries are violated and you're giving into the violation all the time, then there's going to be dissension. The lines of communication in that triangle that we often talk about, it's, it's really, really important that the communication is open between you and the Lord first, but also your, your spouse. In fact, there are a couple of verses George has presented to us that says if you have anger in your spouse, God's not hearing your blessings or hearing your prayers because there's sin in your life. You're not dealing with it. So there's a lot of scriptural support for not letting the sun go down on your wrath, dealing with things making sure that the avenues of communication are open. I can remember a few times laying in we just couldn't agree. We couldn't agree on what the situation was, and both of us at the same time would probably come to the same conclusion. Well, we're just going to have to agree to disagree, and we'll work on it again another day. And then we go to sleep. But you have resolution. You may not agree, and you may still have some terse feelings inside, but you're agreeing to disagree, and you'll... Wait and see if there's more evidence tomorrow what the Lord will do. For example, an example they gave in the book. If you have an overcritical husband who's very loud and gets starts yelling, what well, could be the other way, the spouse, the, the wife, 
you would be better off to say something along these lines. You can continue to yell if you choose. That's their boundary. I choose not to be in your presence when you do. So you just leave. Having a boundary that says, I'm not going to tolerate yelling and overcritical. Dialogue, yes. Working it out, yes. Screaming and yelling at each other, no. I will leave, go into the other room, I'll go for a ride in a car, go shopping, whatever. But we're not, I do not have to take that kind of treatment from my husband or from my wife. It is appropriate to say, I will leave, this is going nowhere, I will be back. And I have used that, and it's good. You save a lot of face, because what happens when you start yelling back and forth at each other? Does it escalate or does it die down? <laughs> I don't think I have to answer that one. It escalates. If he says something to me or she says something to me and then I don't like the way they said it and I'll say, well, that's your thoughts on it. And I come right back at him. What's happening? We're not even hearing the words. We're reacting to tone of voice. We're reacting. And I use the illustration a lot of times when you have a tug of war. If you're not pulling, he's going to fall on his butt. There's no fight. Let it go. That changes the focus. I'm on my back looking up going, where did she go? <laughs> we were fighting. No, we're not. I'm not fighting. <laughs> See ya. And then come back and talk about it when you're more appropriate and use better terminology and words. Law of evaluation. When you begin to set boundaries in marriage, remember that love and limits go together. A lot of people don't think those are in the same sentence, but they are. Love and limits go together. Boundaries are not meant to uh, hurt you. They're meant to protect you. They're meant to, to protect your marriage. They're meant to keep the dangerousness out of your marriage. And if you can't agree on or work through a problem, then set it on the side and pray about it. Both of you pray about it. And see if the Lord doesn't give you a common answer or a resolution. The law of evaluation says, when you begin to set boundaries in marriage, remember that law and love and limits go together. Boundaries will protect. They won't hurt. Spouses who are wise will accept boundaries and act responsibly towards them. Spouses who are controlling and self-centered will react angrily. That kind of goes as a follow-up to the previous slide. The outcomes will be one of, one of two. Either you will both come to a point where you can look at those boundaries, accept responsibility where you need to, and look at that boundary and say, you know, that probably needs to be a boundary going forward now that we realize it's hurting one another. But someone who's self-centered doesn't care. They don't care. They're all focused on themselves. And until God brings them to the point where they realize they're focused on themselves, they probably won't change. But the natural consequences of your behaviors of saying, I'm not going to fight, I'm not going to call you names, I am not going to browbeat you, and I'm not going to take it. That person steps out, that person's alone having to deal with stuff, and they don't know what to do with it. Eventually, they'll have to deal with it. If they don't, then the marriage is in trouble. Boundaries should always deal with yourself not the other. Do not confuse boundaries with a new way to control your spouse. <laughs> I've actually had people read this book and go, that is, that's the way 
he'll deal with it. I'll teach him. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what it's saying in the book. <laughs> it's not saying this is a new way to teach your husband how to better, act, better treat you. That is not what it's saying. It's about you. It's about you saying, I can or I can't take these kind of interactions. And then doing something to, to separate yourself out of that uh, anger and give it time to cool down. In no way is it saying to be irresponsible. In other words, because he won't stop getting angry or because she won't stop getting angry, I'm just not going to deal with it. It is not saying that. It's saying it needs to be addressed if there's going to be unity in that family and if Christ is going to be reflected from that family. <clears throat> we'll go to one more law, and then we did the first five, the first half. The law of exposure. In marriage, more than any other relationship, boundaries need to be verbally communicated prior to taking action. What are they saying here? Well, maybe I'm realizing that this is an issue in our marriage, and I decide, well, I'm just going to do this. And I don't tell the other person I'm going to do it, and it affects them. It affects their expectations for the day. If I do something or I stop doing something without telling my spouse, and then they find out that I did it afterwards, that is not going to build unity. That's going to build distrust. That's going to, that's going to continue to build anger. You'll hear things like, and I've heard this, if you really cared about me, you would have talked about it with me first before you did that. I'm not so sure that I wouldn't have agreed with you or some accommodation of what the statement is you're saying, but to just blatantly do that and leave me hanging in the marriage as the spouse is not right. Jesus taught, treat others the way you would want to be treated. This is known as mutual authority, giving freely. You know, when you, when we go over those sections in the in the Bible that are about husbands and wife. I always thought it was interesting. The first statement is usually at the husband. Husbands, love your wives. Do anything for them. Be a servant to them. Love them. And then it says, wives, respect your husband. I always thought that was interesting why they use two different terms. If we're loving our spouses the way that Christ loved the church, and yeah, we see their their warts and all, their, their, wrong, their bad behaviors. But we love them like Christ loved me. He saw my sin. He still loved me. He expects us as the husbands to love our spouses that way. It's interesting that respect then comes from the wife. If you love your spouse and you demonstrate that love the way that Christ did for the church, the indication is, is that she will respect you. She may not always like you. My wife says that. <laughs> I don't always like you. You're in my space. Get out of the house. But I know that you love me. <clears throat> Words and touch both involve boundaries. Neither should be forced or withheld in the marriage relationship. It's really important that men and women take that, especially men. Men tend to be the one, but I've seen women too who become violent. Words and touch are both boundaries. They involve boundaries. Knowing how to talk to your spouse, knowing how to treat your spouse physically, verbally, emotionally are extremely important and the vice versa back. Doing that shows responsibility, 
shows that I've evaluated the possibility of what the exposure would be if I don't. You know, a lot of this stuff, we become attached to immediate gratification because of the world we live in. And we want what we want, but if you just stop, and I like the way George says it, study your spouse. Know what makes her happy. Know how to love her. Know how to treat her in the way that she, it makes her feel good about herself. Not because you have to because you're married, but because you want to. You do that and you'll see a certain respect that comes back towards you. But if you don't do those things, words and respect, words and touch, intimacy is going to be pretty much nil. Respect one another's personal space was the end of that line. Respect one another's personal space. Spouses in healthy relationships cherish each other's space and are champions of each other's causes. I remember when I first got married, I just didn't understand that. You know, I've heard that term before and I've heard that explained. But as I got further into our, our relationship, like any other man and, and I guess and any other woman in a relationship when you come together, down the road you start realizing that that's their boundaries. That's where they're at. That's who they are. And then to hear that person talk about you when you're not necessarily in the room or around, to hear how they talk about you. And yet, you never told them to talk about you that way. But they're talking about you that way because of how you love them, how you treat them. If that love and respect is not there, if the words and the touch are not there that supports them as a human being, as a person, as a person in this relationship, then you're going to struggle. But when you give them that space, my wife wants the house all day, she can have it. I'll go outside and work in the garden. <laughs> That's one of our pet peeves. We joke about it. But I realize she needs her time alone. Every woman needs her time alone. Men need their time alone in their shop, in their garden, whatever. Along the way, we realized for each other, those were our personal spaces. That's where we both had our time with the Lord, or that's where we actually had our time of unwinding. And then when we come back together, there was more unity. Spouses in a healthy relationship cherish the other person's space, respect it, and they also champion their causes. Ephesians tells us, Ephesians 5, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Right off the bat, he's setting the stage. Submit to one another out of reverence to your Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. There it is again. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water. Through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Two things I want to point out in that verse that I think are crucial. The first one was he starts off by saying, out of respect for Christ, love your spouse, respect your husband. And then he comes back and he says that by the washing of the word, through the word, what's that mean? That means applying biblical principles to yourself and to your marriage. If you're doing that, 
He's saying Christ will make that individual, that family, the church, he will make it a radiant church without stain, without wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. As we talked about in the last study, Christ puts his mark of holiness on us when we are in a relationship with him. His righteousness is put on us. When God looks at our home, he looks at the husband, the wife, and the kids. And if we're all in a relationship with Christ, just like with a church, it will stand blameless before the Lord. And that's a principle that you can bank on. You won't go wrong. Here are some questions to ask ourselves based on this verse. Husbands, is your relationship with your wife similar to Christ's relationship with his church? Always start with the head of the household. Husband, is your relationship with your spouse reflective of Christ's relationship with the church? Second question. Is there mutual authority given freely in the marriage? Do both people have an equal say, a genuine say? And then when it comes down to making the decision, there is that giving the respect to the husband to make the right decision if they are not agreeing on it. There's mutual authority given freely in a marriage. Is the relationship full of grace and unconditional love? What is grace? Unmerited favor. When my spouse is being ugly, do I love them anyhow? Unconditional love. They don't deserve my love, but I'm going to give it. And that's just not from man to the husband. That's both ways. When they're being ugly and they're having a bad hair day, do I still love them? Do I still give them love freely or do I withhold it? And say, well, when you're in a better mood, then we'll talk. I hear that a lot. Christ never takes away our, takes our will away from us and asks us to do this and do something hurtful. He never pushes us past our limits. He never treats us like an object. He gave his life for us. Christ never takes our will away from us, our freedom to choose. He never asks us to do something hurtful. He never pushes us past our limits. He never treats us like we're an object. Instead, he gave his life. The greatest sacrifice of all that we can give is our life and our love. Remember the boundaries checklist. If you're going through rough times, identify the symptoms. What's the root cause? Is it my selfishness? Is it the other person's selfishness? What's the root cause? What can I do about it? Identify specific conflicts in the boundary conflicts. Who needs to take ownership? What is needed in the relationship? How do we begin? Practice setting limits in small areas before moving on to larger ones. Renegotiate new boundaries towards growth. Say no to the bad. Forgive. To not forgive is a lack of boundaries. Remember, the goal of boundaries is love coming out of mutual freedom. As I said when I started the lesson, this is not about marriage counseling. It's about boundaries and relationships. But it's funny how that as you get into it, you realize, usually at the core of marriage counseling, is we need to figure out new boundaries because it's not healthy what we're doing. You know, boundaries can be applied in any setting, parent, child, 
myself and my boss. You can apply them anywhere, and there's a scriptural basis for the boundaries that we've talked about.